Holy shit, you just went into like an infinite abyss. <laughs> like your webcam was pointed at your webcam and you just created a fucking paradoxical outcome. All right, now we can hear you. Is it really bad that like hearing me or is it like all right? Pretty bad. Damn it. Fucking heck. I mean, compared to most podcasts, it's probably fine. Honestly, it's free. phone like if i dialed up evan like 40 years ago or like 80 years ago I was like, hello yeah. are, you, are you gonna make it out to the ball game today <laughs> wow sounds good me and the missus are gonna head out uh might be some showers later on but we'll go ahead and get a pop and a hot dog i'm on the trolley and see Charlie. all right so uh we have tusk talk is this episode 20 does it sound good now Episode 20. Uh, so we have a little bit of catch up. I, I tried to get people to talk about Vegas, but nobody really cared. But I'll, I'll, we can do a brief catch up and uh, talk about the event. So for this episode, we have uh, me, we have uh, him, you, Evan Nyquist with us. Say hello, Evan. Hello, everybody. We have Josh Megadeuce Hand, who's on his phone, PC, and tablet simultaneously. Fuck. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see if he returns. But um, yeah, so uh, I tried to get some folks who went to Vegas to get on a cast, but nobody seemed really compelled. I mean, um, I guess Grand Prix Las Vegas, while it was a really, really good time, it was uh, and really nothing new emerged. And there was, uh, I can tell you, on the ground, as far as like, you know, somebody who had no buys. As I was slogging my way through, it was basically budget people and then people who owned like Delver. And that was 96% of the entire tournament. God, how many of us went? Six Tusks, I think. Two, two people day two, but I don't think either of them showed up. <laughs> <laughs> I think they were both X2 and neither of them showed up. The Beta Fiend. Uh, so, yeah, it was myself. The Beta Fiend, Greedy Mike, Alpha Strike, Brian, uh, Ponder slash Hot Carl, Seems Good, Frenchie. Yeah, that was all of us. I believe all of us were... Uh, in, Brian bombed out a little bit early, but uh, I guess I can tell my GP experience. It was, it'll be pretty quick. I dropped it 4-2. I started off... I was playing Tezzerator, figuring, well, that the deck is valuable, I guess, and I wanted to play it because it has... Good-looking dual lands, but I also really, really hate losing the Sneak and Show, so I kind of like playing that deck because it's probably 75% against Sneak Show. 
and I thought I could get along uh, against people who literally don't know what my cards do or any cards in Legacy, which is what you get at a lot of these GPs. So tournament ran like really slow. Rounds were long. So we can talk about this later when we talk about the post-top world. But I can tell you that it had zero impact on a large tournament's logistics. Every round was at least 20 minutes over. So take that for what it's worth. But round one, I got paired against a nice guy on Death and Taxes. And... It's a bad matchup for Tezzerator, I think, in the abstract. But he didn't really know how my deck worked, I think, at first. He also didn't understand how Duretti worked and how much of a problem Duretti was going to be. So I got out to a really big early lead, was absolutely going to decapitate him, and the guy game one cataclysms me. That just came out of nowhere. Now, I know the card Cataclysm exists, and game two or three, I'm probably will be cognizant of it. It's not a lot you can do to play around it, but like, especially when you're playing planes, I play eight planeswalkers, which cataclysm just obviously obliterates. But anyway, game one, I 100% did not play around it. And the only thing that saves me is that early, earlier in the match, I had made my crucible of five, five with Tezzeret while I had a chalice on one because I had to block something. And normally I'm, I'm not, I'm loath to make my crucible a creature. Cataclysm resolves and leaves me. I was able to select the crucible as my creature. So I had a creature, a land, and an artifact that I could pick, and all my planeswalkers got annihilated. So it got to the point where we're getting low on time and I'm rebuilding my board. So I was able to rebuild with Crucible. But I've gotten to the point now where he has my trading post revoked, my Tezzeret revoked, my Duretis are gone. I have my um my only way to beat him is I I need to find my um, Sword of the Meek, and my t- Transmutes are gone. Literally, I have to find the card Sword of the Meek in about, like, I don't know, 13 or so cards in my deck. And we're starting to run out of time, and I have a Dak Faden that I can keep activating. So Dak Fadening me is going to be bad because I'm going to end up decking myself and if the sword is actually in my last couple of cards, I'm probably going to lose. At that point, I have five ensnaring bridges out. Um, <laughs> and I'm dacking, I'm dacking him, trying to deck him with my dac that's at like 400,000 fucking loyalty. And then finally, I, I find the, uh, the Sword of the Meek, and I'm able to make, I don't know, a bunch of thopters. Sorry, I needed to find the Foundry, not the Sword of the Meek. I'm able to find, I mean, make a bunch of thopters and attack him. And then we start... Uh, then they call they call turns. So I, I feel like he probably should have scooped, but at the same time, I don't know. I, I learned afterwards that his version of Death and Taxes didn't play Flicker Wisp, which is the most terrifying card if you're on Tezzerator, probably in the deck. Um, it, it can blow you out so badly. That was the reason I, I made Infinite Bridges with Duretti, was like I wanted to be able to play around four Flicker Wisps. Turned out he didn't have them, so... But it was an interesting match. Uh, round two, I destroyed somebody on Delver. Round three, I play against another guy on uh, Delver. This was the first judge call that tipped me off to how they were going to kind of run this event. I bait a spell with, I bait a daze with my Trinisphere. He dazes as I expect, and he has the legend that um, Vile Smasher out. This was like Grixis Delver with Vile Smasher. I slowly say Daze resolves. I give him the eyes. I stare at him. I put the Trinisphere in the graveyard. He puts the Daze in the graveyard. And then he points to his um, Vile Smasher. 
And then he still doesn't exactly know where he wants to put the damage, whether he wants to direct it to my DAC or whatever. I appeal the rule. I said, no, you missed your trigger. You know, that's the whole reason I'm trying to communicate with you and say, ask you if days resolves. You know, that's that's the reason for the verbal cue. And the judge doesn't rule in my favor. And I appeal. And the head judge, you know, believes everything I say. And my opponent doesn't dispute anything I say and says that my opponent was well within his right to put the trigger on the stack using what's called out-of-order sequencing which is because nothing significant happened in the game. Uh, you know, if I had fetched or cast another spell, it would have been too late. So it is what it is, and I, it didn't seem like how you'd rule at a $90 GP, but whatever. And so I ended up losing a close game to him, and I probably could have lasted an extra turn in our game three if I transmuted for Thopter Foundry, but it's a long story. Anyway... Play to see. Play a I so I lose to him. I play Rug Delver and just d- demolish him. I played um, a nice man on Maverick. I felt bad. Like th- this was when I was. This is the round before I stopped playing. So I am three and one. The f- fifth round, and there's a man who's also three and one on Maverick. I think he underestimated how good Gaddick Teague was against Tesserator. If you've played against Tesserator a lot, you n- understand like how important it is to immediately like turn two get Gaddock Teague with a quickness. Yeah. I mean my only outs to Gaddock Teague are in the main deck are him choosing to run it into a Baleful Strix. Daredi, I suppose I could assemble Thopter Sword and fly over. That would be the other thing. He didn't really value Daredi or sorry Gaddock Teague. He went after like a knight, I think, because I think he didn't understand how many basics I had. So I ended up beating him. He was very nice, and I just felt terrible beating, you know, the poor Maverick player at X1. And then uh, sixth round, I played a Japanese fellow on Agro Loam. I've played in Japan before. I played in GB Chiba, and he – I lead with a Talisman off a Tomb. I'm a little bit land light, but I have, a, like, a turn two Tezzeret. He goes to play his land drop for the turn. He already had um, – Here's in the draw. Anyway, he plays the Verdant Catacombs, and I make eye contact with him. And I'm like, wow, thank God this guy doesn't have a wasteland. Then he wants to take the Verdant Catacombs back to his hand after he put it on the battlefield in the standard position you would put a land with no verbal cue. So I call a judge, and the judge comes over and says, uh, you know, tries to ask us what, we, what our stories were. I explain. I tell the truth. Uh, and then he, in the language varies too much, so he gets a translator this goes on and on and on for like three or four minutes. And I said, look, he played a land. We made eye contact, gave the magic, the gathering nod. And once again, she said, no, nothing significant has happened. And you know, his hand was sort of still on the land. And uh, so he can take it back. So while she's saying this and she's going to talk to another judge, I'm thinking, I know to myself, I just turn and I just say, I know he has a wasteland. I know he has a wasteland and he might have a mox diamond. So they come back, they don't rule in my favor, and I think to myself, God, should I appeal this? And the same judge who just denied my appeal a couple rounds ago is just standing right there. And, like, while I should probably appeal it and just go down in flames, I just feel like if that guy ruled that way in the previous ruling, we're playing, like, Kumbaya feel good magic. So there's, like, probably no way this guy's going to rule in my favor. So anyway, long story short... The guy gets to pick up his Verdant Catacombs, and shocker, he has Wasteland. And he also has a Mox Diamond. So he might plays his Mox Diamond, pitches the Verdant Catacombs, wastes me, and plays like a Pride Mate or a Dark Confidant. 
So now I can't win Miltezeret, and I lose that game. So I'm pretty pissed off. Game two, I board in the ley line. I fucking demolish him. Game three, I mulled to like five on the draw. Every single game, he had Mox Diamond land in his opener with that deck, which is pretty pretty tough to beat. But so I, I just dropped after that. But anyway, like I said, on the on the ground, bajillion Delver decks all over the place. If you if you weren't budget, you were probably playing Delver. It was fun. I hope they do it every year. It'd be sick if they um, fix the weekend so you could plan, you know, really far in advance. But uh, it was well attended. Besides the, the the rounds running long, it was uh, it was a fun event. And Vegas is fun, and get to go hang out and gamble and um, watch Ziggy try to walk into the Palazzo Casino with people in like gym shorts and flip flops. And so many other people walking around barefoot. Oh yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a little bit of a shit show. I mean, we stayed off. We stayed at the Venetian, which is like on the strip. The hotel that was next to the convention center was the um, Westgate, I think, which is a fucking dump. So I didn't want to stay there. There was all, I mean, well, the other thing was there was EDC, which is like this big electric music fucking mushroom huff freon walk around half naked festival that was going on at the racetrack. So all those folks were just running around, bombed out of their gourds, girls with wearing like no clothing, like just a G string and some glitter paint on their nipples. It was insane. Nice. Yeah. So the dress code was pretty relaxed, but even, even with the relaxed dress code, uh, Ziggy still managed to impress, but, um, but yeah, that, that was it. And then I played some vintage, which was sort of uneventful vintage is in a pretty bad place right now. And I bought some cards and got some stuff signed and, uh, the beta fiend maybe and Mike, I think were X two and, I don't think either of them were interested in playing day two because to be honest, these like the new GP setup, or I guess it's not new anymore. For me, I want two things. I want to get a camera match or win. I guess top eight achieves both of those. But like, if I'm not getting either of those, I'm not going to spend an entire day playing magic in Vegas when I can do other stuff. So if you're like X two at the end of day one, you're, you're pretty much out of contention. It's be a really tough road road to climb. If you're just looking to grind a pro point because you're a grinder barnacle turd or you want to try to like get a hundred bucks out of it, I guess you could do that. But the there was a lot of groaning and I didn't actually look it up. There was a ton of groaning about the payout being awful, which I don't keep up with that stuff, but I guess the EV on this event was just dreadful. But that only matters to people who probably can't afford. I mean, if you're complaining about the EV of an event in Vegas, you probably actually couldn't afford to go out there in the first place so but um but i don't think anybody anybody played the, the buys are just like if you don't have the trip triple buy it's tough i mean kudos to the folks who like xo'd or x1 with no buys that's a that's a feat so anyway anybody do that i don't really know it's hard to tell you'd have to go look at the pairings and see if any of the xos had buys you know basically find the xos and then like see if they're playing round one in the pairings. Yeah, I was going to say, I'd be curious to see that in, like, basically every big GPC, how often people without buys even do well at all. How many convert to top eight? Yeah. yeah it's yeah. tough. It's tough. You know, it's it's fine. Like, the, I guess the pro, certain pro levels get three buys. They play Magic for a living. They should get some incentive to come to these GPs. But, well, yeah, when you have no buys, it's rough. Um, so, 
Fiend was going to play Storm, and then, like, he overslept. And he just had, like, Sneak and Show together. So he just registered Sneak and Show <laughs> and promptly went, like, X1 or whatever and lost the last round of day one. So no practice, hasn't played Magic in six months, slams <laughs> slams Show and Tell together that morning, doesn't even want to play it, and fucking promptly goes X2. So nice fucking deck. What an uh, ape deck. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it is an ape deck. That is a lot of the reason I played Tesserator. Uh, because I hate losing to that deck so much, and Tesserator is absurdly favored against it. Like, I don't know what it is, but I'd say it's at least 75-25, especially with four bridges. And if you have bridges in your main, it's... It's so hard to lose, you yeah. know? And and it even if they get Grizzlebrand, it's like there's nothing... They can't draw into anything, typically. They might be playing a Jace or something, but it's... Yeah, I get a lot of scoops just off of, um, you know, off of the bridge. Yeah, main deck bridge or whatever. So, yeah, you were playing it the other night. You were playing that uh, explorer deck with the sandworm convergence thing. Yes. And you played against, and you played against a man, and I think you put in a grizzlebrand. You put in that, and then he just like drew a bunch of cards and passed the turn a couple times. I was like, he, does he not realize he just can't beat that card or? He's he. Uh, you talking about Pew Beard sneak attack man? Yeah, Pew Beard sneak yeah. attack man. He brought in such. He did have a ratchet bomb that if four hundred okay. turns later he can kill the fucking sandworm convergence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that deck is fucking horrible. Yeah, the the there's an upcoming. Um, all right, so that ends. So that's Vegas. I guess I'm not. You guys want to talk about the top eight or? Uh, I don't. I don't. It's. It was just so chalk. I'm I counted sure. like twenty-four Delvers in the top sixty-four. <laughs> God, fuck. Yeah, how's Delver good? I don't understand. Yeah, and people go, "Oh, well, they're different Delver decks." Well, the only. I mean, the other decks are just Delverless Delver. Like the four-color blue control deck is just a Delver deck with no Delvers and no Dazes, and just look. I'm playing Baleful Strix. Watch me take the control role and get. And get rock hard in the mid range, you know. I just kind yeah, of instead of Delvers, they're playing more true names and Strixes, and then suddenly it's a totally different deck, right? Yeah, yeah. I just counted the four color ship boxes in the Delver piles. I don't know; it's probably around the same number though. But it's just like if you play like so many different variants and legacy of different decks, like you usually just get called, you know, the main name. But with Delver, there's this like particular surgical naming convention to each separate Delver deck. Although they're all just really Delvers with like, oh, I have three ponders and, you know, four decks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like people were complaining about like survival. They're like, oh, it's all just survival decks. And I'm like, well, why is it all not all just Delver decks then? Yeah, there was a lot of Delver on the floor. Like I said, I think you were just basically playing Delver. You either had your legacy pet deck and you were a legacy player. And there were definitely some de- dedicated legacy people there. If you weren't, if you all the tryhards were basically playing Delver if they had money and cards. And then if they didn't, they were playing, you know, Death and Taxes, Burn. Like, I didn't even really see that much Sneak and Show. Maybe there's a ton of it around, but yeah. It's cool, D&T one. Um, I think that's cool. Like, as far as just, you know, just the little the little white tank that could. Doesn't seem like it placed really much of anywhere else uh, in the top 64. Yeah, I don't know if he had buys or not, but, but his last, like, six matches were all against Delver. Or, you know, he dodged Elves, he dodged, you know, he, he played a bunch of Sneak and Show. He wrote a tournament report, he seemed like a pretty cool guy, so he 
He wrote a tournament report. He played a lot of sneak and show and a lot of Delver and should be favored and probably had Plainsville go, you know, every round. So. Yeah, I mean, he played like three Delver decks in the top eight, just Delver top eight. Yeah, I wish there was one. I wish there was something interesting, you know, but uh, just, you know, you're, yeah, just a bunch of ponders and brainstorms and Delvers and they're all in combo decks, a little bit of elves, nothing really interesting, really at all. Uh, Drop of Honey is $500 now, so that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I I have five, so I'll <laughs> that. But it is pretty amazing that in the top 64, I mean, you don't get, like, one guy running, like, Junk or Maverick, Earnham Geddon, whatever, like. This is John Loam in 57. John Loam in 57. Oh, okay, cool. Shout out to Neil Sachs. Way to fucking go against the grain, homie. Yeah. Uh, Got one. I mean, I would. There's like a blue black shadow deck, and they're willing to call it blue black shadow, but I would bet my fucking testicles that there's four Delvers in it. I mean, like yeah, I can tell you the fucking Delver. list. Yeah, exactly. It's just a Delver deck. Oh, shout out to uh, John Kasari running uh, Merfolk to 59. He is uh, an old 12 post player. That put down the deck after the top banning and picked up Merfolk and just proceeded to kind of readjust the whole archetype. So a lot of people are running his list now, and he got 59th, so that's cool. He always did well with 12 posts, so uh, salute to him for just being a good player with bad decks. Turn them true names yeah, I mean, sideways. Yep. Yeah, with Merfolk, it's just... Copter. It's pretty cool. Yeah, when everybody's just playing Delver decks and other random shitty mid-range blue decks, then you can just run over them, right? Yeah, just fly to the sky, draw cards, just loot. I guess I I I would hate to fire in Euron thinking about Merfolk, but you know, it seems to me like it should beat up on it. It'll always beat up on decks without lightning bolts, but to be able to wasteland some of these decks, Island Walk, an Island Walk the shit out of them. Seems seems like a great strategy for avoiding any of the decks trying to go wide with like Pyromancer. You just troop right over them. Deathrite Shaman seems to be a problem unless the guy's got, you know, a bunch of dismembers in his deck or something. Yeah. I'd, hate, I'd hate to be on the draw and just have your opponent go Deathrite go. That's that's kind of depressing because your wastelands just suck so much ass when that happens. So so that's GP Vegas. Be cool if they did it every year. I guess we'll see. We have some upcoming events, uh, so I haven't put together some some uh, notes here. We've got a Star City team constructed in Atlanta, which is that modern legacy and standard format. And then because it's triple format, you get three classics on the next day, which is, I guess, kind of cool. Kind of a cool way to squeeze an extra legacy tournament into a, a weekend. I think Josh is playing and I'm playing. Are you still playing, Josh, in that are you the fucking standard mule? As, as of right now, yeah. I mean, you know, second thoughts are happening, but we'll see. That's fucking humiliating. Yeah, the closer it gets, the less I want to do it, and I'd rather just stick around that day and then just play the classic Sunday. Because even if we day two or whatever, I like I, I'm gonna miss a big legacy event to play standard again. Okay, yeah. Can't they just get Keaton or some random ape to play standard? <laughs> I mean, yeah, me and Keaton have exactly the same experience playing standard, which is zero, so. You guys should get BJ to play standard. Just have him play that fling deck. He fucking goldfishes in the dark by himself. Why lucked out? I'm on team uh, neutral ground Atlanta. 
with myself playing Legacy. Saul Malka will be our modern player, and Sean Rusing will be our standard player. It'll be fun. I, you know, I'm friend. I've known Saul for 20 years or whatever, something insane. So it'd be fun to play Magic with him for a day and troll people. Plus, I, I, I gathered from Jansen that those triple team lyrical cream, I be that formats are. Like the legacy side is real fucking soft. Like, oh god! <laughs> like you see the guys who've been showing up to the store the last two or three weeks to quote unquote practice legacy, and they have not a motherfucking clue what's going on. <laughs> I have never seen so many fetch volcanic brainstorm goes in my life. <laughs> I'd be black red reanimator with twelve posts. I'd be, <laughs> I'd be fucking storm. It's just like, it's just. Uh, they, they just don't understand what's going on in other people's decks at all. And they're just like jamming, like full speed ahead, like just goldfish at home style. And it's just, they're all just going to get slayed, you know, if they just play any sort of competent fucking player. Like even just like a regular dude that's not very good at our locals will smash them just to like broken pieces of glass. Just, it seems so fucking soft. Like I go in there with a blindfold on and just fucking wreck people. It's just a bunch of bullshit, but you but know, you have to find yeah, two people to play the other formats. That's the problem. Like, yeah, I mean, I'd rather just play side events for Legacy and then just play the classic the next day. Like, yeah, if I if I couldn't get on a team with other forty year olds that I like and can laugh with and have a good time with, the zero percent chance I'd play. Like, it, it was solid bust here. So, you know, yeah, I played yeah. against a guy, the black red guy, the past week, and his. Game one, he kept a hand. It was like three lands, ritual, ritual, thought seize, collector brutality. And I'm like, your, your your deck doesn't do anything. He kept like a fucking standard Jun hand. Like, hey, they were. Uh, did you hear about the Cat Warriors? They're <laughs> they're playing in this team event, and they're just mono Jun, Jun every format. <laughs> Yeah, Piper's like, there's no standard Jun deck, so I'm just playing Jun colors with bad cards. Dude, there's got to be some fuck. He should play like Jun camels or Jun desert aggro. Fucking, isn't the new the new set will be legal, right? Yeah, yeah it's gonna be come out the week before, I think. Sick. Yeah. Play deserts and camels. Okay. Yeah, he, they, whoever's playing standard should just drink a fifth of fucking Hennessy and play fucking Jun camels. And dress up as the Iron Sheik and just fuck everyone up in front of them the entire day. Big stuffed camel. <laughs> With an Iron Sheik mustache. Yeah. The Jund headband. Rest in peace, Amon. <clears throat> uh, yeah, so we have that coming up. And then uh, there's a Gigabytes quarterly for a, a Mox Emerald, maybe? I can't remember now. A Mox on the 29th. Is that, is that right? An Emerald? Yeah, I think it's an emerald. And then there's other prizes, you know, dual lands and shit. Okay. Uh, we'll try to link to that in the show notes. But if yeah. you're anywhere in the southeast, try to make it out to uh, Gigabytes in Atlanta and uh, say hello to us. I'll actually be playing in this. You two, I assume, are going to play? Yeah. Cool. Good yeah. Shot. Yeah, I was thinking about uh, doing commentary, but if they're not going to, you know, do that, then whatever. I would imagine it, unless BJ gets off his ass, which pretty much – Requires a an act of God. Yes. <laughs> I don't. I don't anticipate it being streamed. But I have a buy, and uh, I'll be in town, and I don't have school anymore on Saturday. So, and then uh, 
so we'll link to that in the show notes. We have um, September 15th. There's another Eternal Extravaganza. This one will be in Philadelphia, which is a fun place to hang out and uh, eat and just great place to spend a weekend. So that's pretty cool. Won't be, uh, that should be a good time. They'll get a much better turnout, I think, than the one in Baltimore. <clears throat> this one is uh, about six blocks from Ready Market. And just a heads up, it is, you can pre-register now, but they're capping legacy and vintage at like 256 or something, a little over 250 on each event. Uh, and then they're running also legacy vintage and 93, 94 side events, I believe. There might be some modern stuff, but I wasn't particularly listening to that part. But if you, you know, take a look around, you, it's probably some sort of modern thing. Um, but I do know that there's like nine 93, 94 side events uh, during the two days, as well as the big legacy and big vintage events. And if you are concerned about EV, I think the price payout is really good for that. For what I remember, I think it's like $2,400 cash for first place or something. So it's like hundred bucks to enter, but you know, with only 250 something people, chances are probably decent compared to other events. But more importantly, it's just going to be a really good time. A great location. Anyone that went to Eternal Weekend uh, in 2015 probably had a really good time. Um, so highly recommend the event. Uh, you get a, you know, I, I feel like for all of its flaws, the nice thing about EE is that you get a couple of shots. You know what I mean? Like you go to a GP and you just start off one, two, and you just quit. Like the Eternal Extravaganza, if you're at least tangentially interested in vintage, gives you two shots at the at the pie, so to speak, because your Sunday is not shot. You know what I mean? If you, if you just run into some bad luck or you suck at magic on Saturday – you still have a shot on Sunday to, to actually play. So to me, that's, um, that's one of the big draws is you get two tournaments sort of for the price of one on a weekend. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So it's in the Sheraton downtown. I know exactly where that is. Um, so we'll link to that in the show notes. Yeah. Tons of side events. So if you, if you bail on Saturday or get in early on Friday, there's lots of events as well. So pretty cool. <clears throat> and the vintage I think is, has always been proxy. I don't think they've changed that vintage. Yeah. It's 15 proxies. Sweet. You know what 9394 rules are using? Let me see here. Uh, they're using Eternal Central, but... Oh, they're using the Eternal Central rules. I think they're, they said that I think they have some sort of modification. Right. Where they're gonna go. Yes, they're using Eternal Central rules. Eternal Weekend, they're going to announce at Eternal Central the location of the old school tournament, but Jayco is confirmed. Once again, it will be on the Thursday. <clears throat> so just keep that in mind when you're planning your travel that uh, if you're signed up, that you'll need to, you know, you'll need to be in there at a reasonable hour on Thursday. So you guys usually do that like a bar, right? So it's been at a hotel rooms and a pool year one, year two, we had uh, the hotel lobby. And then last year we had, uh, we were at a brewery slash bar. Yeah. In, in uh, Columbus. Yeah. Hopefully we can get some space this year. And um, yeah, I think we had a little short of uh, 90, um, but there was about, there's like a hundred, some there's like a hundred low number, like a hundred and, three or five or something signed up for it. Uh, but yeah, it pushed out. So it's had great increases. I think it was like 10 to 15, the first one. And then the second one was a little short of like 60. Then this last one was a little short of 90. So it seems to have exponential growth. Right, so we also have the players ball and Gen Con during August. Yep. I guess that's it. Do they, they still do stuff at Gen Con? 
I mean, Gen Con exists, yeah, and stuff is done there. It's a thing. As, as I just figured, all the magic like stuff has kind of been outsourced to like E Weekend and Extravaganza and stuff. Yeah, there's a couple of vintage events. So Pastimes runs it, which is, um, I mean, I'll just bite my tongue. They're not the most spectacular tournament organizer in the world, but uh, they do run feeder tournaments for Eternal Weekend. So that's where I won my buy last year that I squandered and also fucking squander it at Vintage Champs. So, but uh, Gen Con is you know, maybe a third magic and a third partying, hanging out, a third buying crap, so. Maybe awkward transition, but uh, how do you feel about the vintage results and stuff recently? If you look at the vintage events, so now we have weekly vintage challenges. We also have the NYSE. I did some statistics, which are on the Team Tusk Twitter, but but essentially every one of these vintages that we now have weekly, the amount of thorn to misstep dichotomy in the decks uh, in the top 32, which is the, we get published lists down to top 32 is cresting 92, 93%. Meaning, Holy shit. Meaning that if you take a look at the available space as four deck spots where you could either have missteps or thorns, assuming you wouldn't play both, which fuck it, somebody might just do it. That consumed 92% of those spots are consumed by those cards. So you're just playing either missteps or thorns. It's gotten so bad now that the dredge lists, you know, that are that are top thirty-two, at least the ones that were, were also running missteps, which pu- which pushed the misstep even higher. Um, now I'm saying thorns. You know, a lot of it is shops, Drazi, um, and you could also probably just. I'm saying thorns as a as a catch-all. You know, most of those decks have spheres if they happen to be shops, uh, revokers. Yeah, some sort of thorn effect. Right, but but they all share thorn. Even the white Eldrazi deck and the shop decks all all play thorn. So. Vintage now is missteps and thorns. It those are the two, or you're dredging, I guess. And so it's in a pretty shitty place. The gush restriction didn't do anything, as I predicted. The blue stew is far too gone. And now, if you just take the pile of restricted cards, the fact that you had to cut, you know, two in some cases three gushes did absolutely nothing. So, and there's just no incentive to try to do anything on your turn that's a sorcery speed one mana spell when 65, 70% of the format's playing four missteps, except play your own missteps, which is what got the card banned in every year they're playing them or ignoring them. And I feel like it's the worst and most miserable card ever. It's probably not the most uh, objectively powerful card, but it just makes for the most miserable gameplay. It's the same crap that, that, uh, infested legacy for a few months so not sure what they can do i hope they restrict misstep i think the card is a fucking absolute cancer on magic like most phyrexian mana is but it's just the fucking worst do you think banning misstep solves the problem of i guess i guess one of the questions is is like where legacy i mean sorry where vintage is right now like what can be banned to solve the issue and does it cause, is it multiple bans on multiple archetypes like at once? Or do you keep like banning one card at a time and seeing what happens and you just keep getting this like pendulum of like weight on either side and then people are unhappy? Um, or do you just wait, which some people seem to argue for too? Well, if I thought new printings would help, that would be my first uh, choice. Thing is, is it shifts 
shifts the paradigm of missteps and thorns. You know, just looking at these sets, probably not going to happen. The idea of banning or restricting a couple two cards, with, uh, which they did the last time through, that was not. I don't think that was prudent. Though I don't think the results would have been any different. So, for example, if they had just chosen to restrict probe, we'd still just be looking at, you know, missteps and thorns. Now the misstep decks would have more gushes, but I don't know. It's to me in my world, it's still missteps and thorns. It sort of operates on its own axis. But personally, I think if they had restricted misstep and probe, I feel like you'd be incentivized to play one mana spells like Deathrite Shaman. Like Noble Hierarch, Thought Seize, those can match up and provide a space for a not blue, not thorn deck. I mean, it could be a blue deck, but to really get a, a good strong position against the shot slash thorn decks. Uh, and for example, you, you remove three missteps and maybe you have some spell pierces or spell snares or thought seizes or. I mean, the true stalwarts of uh, the Flusterstorm Mafia or whatever, if they just want to replace the three missteps with Flusterstorms and Pyroblast and keep a bad shot matchup or a bad thorn matchup. Those people will still exist. They'll try to get a leg up on the blue, blue mirror. But I think restricting misstep would open up space for cards that are intrinsically good against the thorn matchup. And um, it would also let you resolve one mana removal, which will help you beat mentor. Tapping out for a mentor would be more dangerous than it is now. You know, tapping out for a mentor when you had three or four gush, four probe, and four misstep was a joke because you could put a probe on the stack. You could start a fight with mental misstep. You could gush in, you know, in response to their first removal spell. If you get misstep down to one, tapping out for a mentor, a naked mentor would be a more of a risky play, and maybe mentor wouldn't be so overwhelming. A lot of people are saying let's let's restrict mentor. Personally, I don't think it makes a difference because the blue stew is so consistent, homogenous, and standardized now that you'll just replace three or two mentors with, uh, you know, two young pyromancers and a true name or a Vendillion click. It's it's just it's just irrelevant, like stew of blue crap that's been brewing, brewing since cons. I just feel like you can put almost any win condition, some joke fucking legendary dragon. It doesn't even fucking matter anymore. It's so overwhelming to have somebody like Dak Throw away two bad cards, you know, preordain, dig, cruise. Before you know it, you're just buried. Uh, and I think the win condition is irrelevant. Mentor seems more abusive because it's it does end the game quick and it's very hard to come back from. But I would posit that if you only had one mental misstep, that the number of ways that you had to deal with a mentor, especially with like black, would skyrocket. You could play Illness in the Ranks. You could play Dread of Night. You could play... A one-mana removal spell has a fucking prayer of resolving. I'd like to see that shake out, and maybe it wouldn't solve anything, and we'd still be Thorns and Blue Stew. I guess then maybe Vintage is irreparable, but spent too much time on that. I just There'd be room for other fucking decks to shine. You could play Dark Depths. You know, Imperial Seal could fucking resolve for the first time in like half a decade. I don't know. I just think there'd be room to play decks that attack on a different axis that don't just have to play Misstep you'd have more deck building space, which is absolutely 100% which, what got banned in every other format. I don't understand why it doesn't apply here. But anyway, do you want to talk about sort of, you know, you, you guys have played Legacy every week now since the top banning. Is there any uh, uh, any interesting trends you're seeing? Or uh, do you think that the top banning really sh- shook the pillars of heaven? 
uh, I think we have a ton more. The speed, has, the velocity of the formats increased uh, excessively. I mean, like with with the GP results, Deathrite Shaman at like thirty eight percent, and then outside of that, you have no miracles, barely you know a strong control deck, and then outside of that, you have really fast combo right now. So you have really fast combo, and if you're not playing fast combo, you probably have Deathrite Shaman in your deck. So your tempo has been sped up. And then we also are lacking like a strong control deck. So right now everything is very fast in my opinion. Like I, I, I'm seeing a lot of speed, uh, even out of mid range. Um, that immediately is my first thought. I don't know about you, Josh, but uh, I'm I'm not playing anything slow right now. So I mean, I've played 12 posts, but uh, it's it's been tough. It's extremely fast, and I have to play extremely defensively. Uh, right now with the speed that the format's at. Uh, so yeah, I'm that's, uh, playing turbo depths a lot, probably, you know, moving forward. Um, and maybe just some decks that are full of hatred, just, uh, you know, like things like Pox or, you know, maybe a moon deck just out of spite. Yeah, that's um, one thing I've kind of noticed with the format is that it's become very efficient. So you're kind of forced to run a lot of cheap answers and, you can't really play with a high curve, it seems like, or set up an engine deck, I guess. Like, I can't imagine how the Loam decks are doing well. Other Like, in the games, they don't just go turn one or two Chalice. I can't imagine how they're able to keep up. They just uh, play lands and then look at their opponent to see if their opponent is sad or happy about the land drop. And if their opponent is happy, they pick it up and play another land. And then eventually they, get, <laughs> they fucking get it right, and then they win. I mean, even Loam has Mox Diamond. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's, it just seems like everyone's got a, a pretty quick clock in with extinguishing miracles for the most part. I feel like maybe some room to brew like interesting decks that do kind of create engines or kind of do some sort of wacky thing. They at least had some breathing room to kind of like assemble something to show. Um, whereas now you're just basically have gotten your, teeth kicked in by Days, Delver, Deathrite, Shaman, and two lands by turn three. Yeah, it's like um, they were talking about the stores. Like, now that uh, Miracles is out, all the kind of weird three and four mana cost stuff that you'd play, like a random Garuk Relentless and all those other kind of non-creature type things that you'd play to beat Miracles, those are all not unplayable, but they're harder to resolve, and they're not as good in the games they do resolve. Right. And you're pinched... I mean, obviously, Delver now is, what, fucking six years old, so the whole play pattern of Delver is, you know, as stale as a day-old fucking fart, but it still applies today, which is like, you're on the draw, they resolve the Delver, and you have to play this delicate balance of establishing your mana and removing the Delver. Sometimes you're just put in a position where you you eat a daze because you're just going to die otherwise, or... Um, like the Delver deck with Burn, the red-blue Delver deck, you're just put in a position where you have to play that non-basic land because you have to play around days, and maybe you get their Delver that's already done six to you, but then you just eat a price of progress die. So if I'm thinking about like the quarterly or uh, maybe even this, probably just go back to either something that punishes the, the mana bases, or the four and three-color Delver decks. Alice is still really good. I mean, there, there's not as much abrupt decay, uh, I felt really comfortable in all my Delver matchups with Tesserator. Tesserator with basics and no Force of Wills is a tough matchup for that for that deck. I'm running a lot of lands. I have Chalice. Uh, Ensnaring Bridge is a problem. 
if you have enough basic lands, you can neuter their wastelands and you can neuter their price of progress. So um, maybe I'll take a chalice deck. I know that comes as a massive shock to uh, this <laughs> star city thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and like even in my random, you know, I play junk shit piles basically every week and I've even gotten to the point that I'm just playing diamond to kind of play a quicker game so I can start resolving Stoneforge, Goyf, and stuff on turn one. Get a faster play around days and stuff like that. So I don't know. That's just how I felt recently is that the format's so efficient that you're kind of pigeonholed into playing the really efficient spells. And then especially with true name in the format, you know, so you want all these efficient spells like swords to answer Delvers, but they drop a true name. There's not really a good one mana answer to a true name. You get to play some kind of weird stuff to beat, you know, all of it. Yeah, I tried um, Black White Pox this past week, which was like I ran the full Lingering Souls and full Collective Brutality and four Innocent Blood. I didn't play Fatal Push. I didn't play Dismember. I just basically lean on Collective Brutality to kill the Death Rites. Um, and then uh, rely on Innocent Blood to mop up a true name or just rely on the fact that I can Wasteland the fuck out of them. And yeah, Smallpox. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry, and Smallpox. So Smallpox, Innocent Blood, and four fucking Collective Brutality, which in Lingering Souls Pox, which is a bad deck, but there there's some nutty, you know, there's some nutty synergy there with that card. Yeah, I was, uh, that's, kind of what I was playing the past week too, like three Brutality, three or four Souls, some Loams and stuff like that. And make Brutality is a really fucking good card when you're pitching extra lands for Loam or Lairing Souls. Yeah, maybe there's some everything but blue shit pile that, that can emerge from this that uses all these two-for-one cards like Collective and Souls. There's that new card, uh, Hollow Man or Hollowed Man or some, I don't know. You... Discard a card this turn, pay two less, 4-4. Four, four. Isn't that a Kevin Bacon movie? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Not even fucking around. Isn't it like, it's it's a Kevin Bacon remake of The Invisible Man, I think. The 90s movie. Yeah, it was like late 90s. I remember I'd just gotten out of college. He came back to visit. And uh, I remember this because we were bored out of our minds and we went to Lenox Mall to go watch a movie. This is when you used to like go to malls to watch movies. And we went, we went to get some money from the ATM, but we also wanted to smoke before we went to see Hollow Man, figuring that it'd be a pretty sick movie to watch stoned. Well, we had this master fucking plan to get stoned in my car in the parking lot of the mall. You know, so we don't want to drive around stoned. That's bad. Kids don't do that at home. But, you know, in the parking lot, we figured we'd be safe to park. So we pulled up to the ATM to get some cash, and we're just, like, draining this fucking spliff. And we think we're all fucking smart. And then we start to get kind of stoned and paranoid. And then we look over and there's like three ATM cameras just looking right at us. And, <laughs> and we realized our fucking plan was just shit. So then we, then we watched Hollow Man Stone. And it was a good movie, Stone. There's a scene where they... Um, we'll put this in the show notes. There's a scene in Hollow Man where they try to make an ape invisible. And this ape fucking flips out because it, can't, it can see its own you know, balls and see its own liver and shit. So this ape literally apes out and starts killing everybody in the room, and it's like a half-invisible ape running around, killing all these scientists, and Kevin Bacon gets away. That's, that's all I remember. It's a lot like 
casting stone cow. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we got really far field there. Yes, I agree with everything you said. There, there's uh, a lot of uh, a lot of value in the tempo mid range, and it's where you want to be. That's the thing. Yes. Uh, so the so the format's faster. Um, like miracles, if you were on the draw with a chalice deck and they resolved the top, and you had the chalice, it felt a little flaccid. Um, and you know, you still might win the game, but having an active top made things a lot easier. Now they can all they can do is cast a sorcery speed like cantrip and pass. And then if your chalice sticks, they're still fucked. They don't have any recurring way to masturbate with their deck. And it seemed really bad. Like, Greg and Brian were testing the, the fucking portent miracle mirror all fucking night while drinking whiskey the day before the tournament. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> I'm like, you fucking apes. Why are you wasting your time, you know, testing this fucking mirror? A, you're never going to play against it all day long. And B, it's... God, it's, like, so fucking draining. Like... A half an hour would go by, I'd walk over, they're still playing the same fucking game, and one of them is, like, trying to get the other one with his very last fucking Snapcaster in his deck. Like, a metric ton of cantrips in the graveyard. It's like, it's like <laughs> fucking elephant graveyard of cantrips on both sides of the boards. Uh, both, of them played, both of them played that fucking pile. I, I, I don't think it's... Yeah, it's, uh, it didn't seem to put up much results, you know, as far as whatever that... I don't really care that much about, you know, the results as much as many others do. Um, I think there's still a lot of luck and variance mixed in it all. But there is, uh, I think, one Miracles in the top 64. I was going to say, there, there, sometimes people use the, the phrase, oh, there's too much air in that deck. You know, meaning your deck is just a pile of cantrips and bullshit and almost no business. And that deck typifies that deck building paradigm where it's just a fucking pile of air and bullshit and you're predicting yourself to, to build your own quasi concentration and it's all to just try to stick like one of three jaces uh, an entreat or two and or win with snapcasters and some games you That's just have, yeah you just have too much air and you can only dick around for so long before you just lose to something and then it doesn't have the the lock of counterbalance to make all the dicking you can dick around if you have countertop. You can masturbate with cantrips to your heart's content. The game's sort of locked out. I think like there were two undefeateds at the end of day one in Vegas and I don't know, maybe one of them was the guy in the top sixty four, but there it was virtually unseen that I know of in the second day, so probably terrible. Um, and it's probably a deck that uh, if anybody tried to pick it up, like people used to pick up miracles and be pretty bad. You remember the like awful miracle pilot? guy who would pick it up and come to Star City and just have no idea what the fuck was happening. Yep. This day. Yeah, but you win you can win games, just you assemble countertop and then you terminus your opponent and then, you know, it takes an ape to win at that point. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean I've lost to some just absolute fucking contact miracle players who had no idea what the fuck was going on, who needed the Oracle text for wild growth. But this deck doesn't <laughs> seem like that's uh that that that's possible. So anyway, legacy's you know legacy's sort of still in the same same place. I don't think there's anything that's really emerged that's particularly interesting. But um, and some decks died right, died on the vine with without top. You know, there's some no more no more painter, no more. You know, it seems like twelve posts took a pretty solid kick in the nuts. All the replacements are kind of either they're colored, which makes the deck less consistent, or they're not recurring. You resolve your ancient stirrings, but then you maybe you're, you run dry from then on in. So. Yeah, and 12 Post's last showing is kind of sad because it's like it's a uh, SCG event 
and like the top eight was like three or four miracles and it's just like stone cold dead runs into like big red you know for it's like <laughs> and it's just like you look at this like gp and it's like yeah dnt won but it just got like you know all the delver matchups and like oh but now it's like this best deck or you know something close to that but like there's just there's always this lick of like you know just variance and you know things kind of going your way in the format and hopefully people always keep that in mind but it's it's good still to see you know dnt rise to the top and somebody getting fireball yeah, on camera would have been amazing yeah like I, even like 12, like 12 posts has kind of moved to like a thran dynamo and grim monolith and vault Voltaic key sort of combo to kind of just go crazy still with the post lands and some soul lands, but to split the difference between like metal worker and the old 12 post deck. Yeah. So it's not, it's not dependent on artifacts as much as like post would be. Um, and it can, you know, more of a Eldrazi focus. I think, well, I think they run like two to three Ulamogs. Um, and then just some of your your faster low to the ground guys, like I think like Thought Knot and maybe like uh, the Reality Smash. Yeah, Thought Knot might be good again. Um, yeah, I agree. Decks have a hard time dealing with it. Maybe they have just Fatal Push, and it's been a, it's been a minute since I've cast a Thought Knot. Maybe there's uh, maybe there's room for him to sort of make a return. I mean, Miracles was a good matchup for Aldrazi if they got their Nut Draw. Thought Knot is tough to remove, but anyway, <clears throat> same old, same old. So. I guess uh, we have a new set coming out. It's called The Hour of Devastation. It's also the first set that has... Is it the first set that has its name as a card in the set, or did Conflux have Conflux? Conflux had Conflux. Yeah, they had Conflux. I can't tell you if any other sets had, you know, same card name or not, but I know Conflux had Conflux. So you had some suggestions here. We have... um, Let's start with the key player in the set. Uh who harkens back to Legends, one of the greatest magic sets of all time. We have none other than Nicol Bolas. Um, this incarnation of Nicol Bolas is, of course, a Planeswalker Bolas. Uh, four Bolas to cast, seven loyalty, and he has four abilities. So, it's interesting. Planeswalkers with four abilities tend to be good, like uh, like Jace. Um, Chandra. Yeah, new Chandra. Yeah. So there's some hope here, maybe. All right. Plus two, target opponent exiles cards from the top of her library until she exiles a non-land card. Until the end of the turn, you may cast that card without paying its mana cost. So right off the bat, you're going to nine loyalty. And I'm assuming by the time you've resolved this off of uh, Omniscience or Eureka or whoever the fuck you're working this thing into play, you're going to know what your opponent is on. And to be honest, if I'm putting this guy in play off of Eureka... Or Amasant, whatever's in your deck probably sucks, and I probably don't want to cast it. So <laughs> that ability seems like a piece of shit. Plus one, each opponent, well, that's cool, it doesn't target, exiles two cards from his or her hand. That's not bad, so that would take him to eight loyalty, and um, but still, for a seven-mana Planeswalker, is not... Uh, not going to blow anybody away. Just just to contrast with the old Nicol Bolas Planeswalker. Uh, it's a Vindicate or something, isn't he? Yeah, he is five loyalty. When he enters the battle, or his, his plus three going to eight loyalty is destroy target non-creature permanent, full stop. And then he has five loyalty. He is minus two gain control of target creature, full stop. You just control it forever. And then the old Nicol Bolas is 
ultimate, which was which ramped pretty quickly. It was minus nine, and it, it was just an absolute savage fisting. He deals seven damage to target player. That player discards seven cards and sacks seven permanents. So it's hard to imagine losing a game if you ever resolve Nicol Bolas's ultimate. The new Nicol Bolas, God Pharaoh's ultimate, is a minus 12. So your best case scenario is 9, 11, 13, and then you, you activate his ultimate, which is exile each non-land permanent your opponent's control. They are such pussies about Armageddon effects. Like... Oh, yeah. Give me a fucking break. You know? It's yeah, like minus 12. Man. Yeah! Why can't it just be exile all permanents every opponent you've ever played controls? I mean, it's minus 12 on a 7-man of Planeswalker. Yeah, I agree. Ugh. Well, the, the plus side to this guy is that he is 7 versus the 8. Right, right. And, and also, the older one calls for double black. Like, when I look at this, it's like, you know, it, it's obviously not, like, going to fit in every deck whatsoever. Uh, very few decks will have the opportunity to play this, you know, and with the pilot being noted insane. This, the thing about this card is, like, it's four mana to start with the colorless. So that's – it's only three mana past that, which is about three mana past to Jace, more or less. And it's not asking for double of any color. So it, it yeah. does – and blasting for seven damage is pretty good um, as far as just capping a game off if you're hiding behind a bridge. Um, it, it's definitely like a win condition. Um, so I, I give it credit there. Uh, I just see the old Nicobolas is simply Eureka, simply Omniscience, but I think that you could actually hard cast this Nicobolas in some decks if you're, you know, running the long game. Um but, you know, those decks are probably going to be running wacky things um, and not be tier one. But uh, I'm, I bought three of these dudes. Um, I might play one in a Tesserator list. Uh, I've been running, like, Chromatic Lanterns and Blood Moons in the main just with the the speed of the format. Yeah, and then uh, same, I have the Signet still, too. So works out decent. It's a Planeswalker-based build. Um, I'm running, like, the Thopter Sword and the sideboard, actually, and, and pulling that in when necessary, but going in with Planeswalkers. And this guy is a one-of is interesting to me. Um, otherwise, just a Walkers, a Grixis Walkers build, I'm also considering it's just, just so much good board wipe right now, and um, it's a lot of good uh, combo hate as well. And if you can just lock right, uh, I think you can be in a decent spot to at least you know try the deck out. Um, so I find it interesting in that way where, you know, I just don't ever see casting Nicol Bolas, uh, the Planeswalker, the older one. Um, no, I always eureka him. Yeah. But I mean, you know, with the way the Planeswalkers have been going, like it's always good to keep an eye on Eureka. I mean, I'm not sure how much more over the top they can get than Ugin or even the old Nicol Bolas, but, you know, every time they print a bonkers fucking Planeswalker that does something absurd, I think of Eureka. There's that other card, that Cascading Cataracts, I think it is, or whatever, that one I mentioned on another cast where it's like five tap and... Make domain? Yeah. Yeah, but it's indestructible, which is really big. Um, As far as just once you have that on the board, it's probably sticking around more than likely. Um, Right. You know, for someone to, like, target you or, you know, make you sacrifice that particular land. 
you know, like Liliana or something, I guess. But like otherwise, it's it's pretty much going to stick. Um, so if you can get to that, you have a lot of options, like some sort of multicolored deck of whatever regard. Maybe something with post and that. I don't know. But this card has the ability to kind of get fleshed into some decks. Possibly they're going longer. Um, maybe a newer control deck, you know, with having blue and red as options, and even black for creature removal. I mean, with the people that are coming to the store to play before this Star City, I may just show up with Mana Drain because none of them will actually know that that card is not legal. And then oh, I'll just, well, it's really good. Yeah, I'll just Mana Drain their fucking force of will and windmill this piece of shit and fucking <laughs> they'll, they'll be none the wiser. All right, so he's he's a fringe, fringe player. Sure. You're definitely going to fucking win a brownie point if you manage to resolve this in a competitive REL event. But I will. Yeah. So. All right. Next up, we have three gods. The Locust God, the Scarab God, and the Scorpion God. Now, as somebody who has named God with his Cavern of Souls multiple times in sanctioned competitive REL, I'm up for a good God. Um, I'm not sure that any of these really pass the test. They all have the text, when this God dies, return it to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next incident. You know, it's not that exciting legacy, I guess. They either have sorts to plowshares or they probably can't kill it. Um, Collective Brutality combos with it. Uh, no, because it has to die. Oh. Yeah. If Actually, if they were all squeezed... Oh, when it died. Oh, yeah, if they, so good. if they were squeezed, I'd be in on these guys because early you could discard them and then, like, gods rising from the ashes, you could do something with them later, but... um. They're all pretty bad. They none of them have hexproof. They're all legends. Um, I think they all pretty much suck. Even the one that's cool and makes zombies isn't a zombie. So yeah, these are pretty bad. If I think they're bad, they're real bad. Yeah, they're really fucking bad. I mean, if you resolve the locust god and then cast brainstorm, I guess that's fucking sick. But you could also just resolve a fucking consecrated sphinx and probably do just as well and not get Caracas. You know what I mean? Like. These are definitely yeah. for standard or for EDH chodes. So, um, yeah, I think you just rather have like that Karanos guy than the Locust guy. Definitely, that's a great example. Yeah, you'd so much rather have Karanos. He's cheaper. He's like really hard to kill. He's rarely a creature. He's yeah. a reliable win condition. Yeah, he doesn't get fucking swords. Just fuck you. I. I mean, they can get dismembered. I mean, they're really shitty. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. They're not even indestructible like the other gods. Yeah. You can like you can like. Terror, the Locust God, which seems fucking dumb. You know, he should be fearless. All right, so there's one Planeswalker, or sorry, another one more Planeswalker, Samut the Tested. So we got Samut full stop. Is that the the red-green guy? Yeah, red-green. Samut, Planeswalker, Samut. Starts with four loyalty. He's two and uh, red-green, two and Curd Ape. Plus one, up to one target creature gains double strike until the end of turn. So that would put him at five loyalty. Minus two, Samut deals two damage divided as you choose among one of two target creatures or players. So like a fork bolt, I guess. So that would take him to two loyalty. And then minus seven, search your library for up to two creatures and Planeswalker cards, put them on the battlefield and shuffle your library. So his ultimate is certainly game winning, right? We'd all agree. If you can just shove two Planeswalkers onto the battlefield, you're going to win. Or two creatures, I guess. Two insane creatures. But... He he does almost not he she it um, does almost nothing to protect himself like herself itself. Fork bolt is not doing it. 
it's not doing it, especially when you're minusing to do it. So, um, so assuming you have a creature on the board that can block for Semut, you're giving that creature, what, double strike and maybe attacking, but at the same time, since he can't make tokens to defend himself, you have to leave some back to block. So I think the plus one, unfortunately, doesn't synergize well with ramping and getting that ultimate off. And then if you're just a dedicated bridge Planeswalker deck, the plus one literally is a textless, we might as well just say, you know, remove earwax from your left ear, wipe it on the board. Like, it does nothing at all. Yeah, it seems kind of a messy design almost, like, just kind of unfocused, I guess. I would rather play, like, the old Sarkin Vol or any of the ones where, like, the, the plus one has some synergy with what's what, what the Planeswalker is trying to do, you know, or play one of the ones that can defend itself. Like even Arlen Cord, which I played a couple times in Legacy, it's not great, but it can it can defend itself. Like she makes wolves. You can just sit there and make wolves and block. And one of the one of the tests for a planeswalker is if it can defend itself or not. And this one unfortunately can't. So I think it's a piece of shit. I agree. All right, so those are the gold cards. Um Let's move on to the white cards. All right. Oh man, you put this in your list. This card. I wasn't. I was gonna try to stay away from this card because I feel like it can lead us down a pretty deep hole. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Crested Sunmare, three white white creature <laughs> horse. <Four. laughs> Other horses, plural. You control have indestructible. At the beginning of each end step, if you gain life this turn. Create a five-five white horse creature token. This this is the <laughs> horse lord we've been waiting for for probably yeah since like Tarpan. You guys know what Tarpan yeah, does? Yeah, it doesn't like give you a life when it's a horse. It gives you yeah. one life when it comes into play. I think. Uh, yeah, Tarpan. One-one uh, uh, creature horse for one green. When it dies, you gain one life. So if you can start looping your fucking tarpan uh, and this guy, you're going to have what, what uh, people might call an engine. Um, oh, wow. You might say that that engine has horsepower. So let's like take it. a walk through Magic's greatest horses. So Let's do it. Uh, <laughs> so starting, actually, even before Ice Age, I remember when tarpan came out, I was pretty excited to see a horse. But even before that, we had the mightiest of horses from Legends, the one, the only, Bronze Horse. Bronze Horse is a 4-4 trampler for the low, low cost of 7 mana. But as long <laughs> as you control another creature, prevent all damage that will be dealt to Bronze Horse by spells that target it. So this thing was like, this thing was like Lodestone Golem before Lodestone Golem. Like if you had two shops and another land, you could produce a horse. And it was you could not fucking fireball this thing. You could not bolt it. You couldn't drain life it. The art is fucking sick. It's Mark Poole. It's a horse drooling lava. It has a giant mace as its as uh, as its tail. So that he was a fine horse. Then we got um, another outstanding horse in Homelands called Clockwork Steed. Steed. The Steed. A Clockwork Steed. Four mana. <laughs> Gets you a 4-3 that can't be blocked by artifact creatures. And at the end of combat, if it attacked or blocked, you remove one of those plus one, plus O oh counters. 
But the sickest part of Clockwork Steed, and I think this was a theme throughout all the Clockwork creatures, you could crank it and pay X and put X counters back on the Steed so you could refuel him after he you know, ran around the track a few times. But of course, that was too good, so you could activate that only during your upkeep, and then it could never have more than four counters on it. So, <laughs> Homelands actually had a lot of horses. If you're looking to break Crested Sunmare, look no further than Homelands because you got Clockwork Steed, you got Dwarven Pony, who traditionally we've seen in, <laughs> we've traditionally seen Dwarven Pony more in the dwarf archetype <laughs> since Target Dwarf gains Mountain Walk until the end of turn. Killing a man with Dwarven Pony. Yeah, yeah. You should retire from magic if you get fucking <laughs> Dwarven Ponied. That but the, great, the greatest, darkest, angriest horse of all time was also in Homelands, and that is the Black Carriage. What about Nightmare? Is that a horse? No. No, wow. Nightmare. Night <laughs> Ironically, Nightmare is not a horse. It's a Nightmare. It's oh. a Nightmare. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. I right? Oh, no, no, no. Fuck. The great creature errata has changed it now to Nightmare Horse. Oh. Oh, it's on. That's the best horse of all time, right? Clearly. Yeah, it's the best horse of all time. Oh, black um, white horses? Dude, yeah, yeah. So now he's a Nightmare Horse. So that's pretty... Holy fuck. All right, there is a horse that breaks this. Mercadian Masks, Sacred Prey. Uh, it used to be a beast in Merc Mercadian Masks, but now they've updated it to be a horse. Green, 1-1. One, one. When Sacred Prey becomes blocked, you gain one life. So if you can trick your opponent into blocking your 1-1 one, one with otherwise no text, you'll obtain a 5-5 five, five white horse at the, end of the, uh, at the end of the turn. And then there's Thundermare and Timbermare. Pretty sick. Unfortunately, when they enter the battlefield, they tap all other creases, creatures. So if you've managed to amass an army of white horses, and then you then you draw your Thundermare or your Timbermare, you know, all of your horses will get tapped. You do um, Mother of Ruins uh, and put uh, Lure on Sacred Prey. Didn't think of that. Yeah, you could lure your Sacred Prey to generate an army of white horses. I wonder if Watsi was aware of, of the urban slang you know, the, the getting on the white horse, what that actually means before they made this card. Or maybe they know, and this is sort of their first foray into adult-themed cards. I want to ride the Delu horse? Yeah, riding the Delu horse. My pony. If you want to ride, ride a white horse. <laughs> oh, Workhorse is a horse now as well. You guys familiar with Workhorse? Yeah. I'm unfamiliar yeah, with all like a man horse, right? Is there a, is there a human horse? There's no way. There's are just centaurs. Workhorse kind of looks like a human horse, man. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He's definitely yeah. He's man standing up. up, right? Yeah, definitely. He's a biped, not a quadruped. Two out of five stars. Yeah, workhorse is strong. There was there's an infinite combo with workhorse. I think I can't remember it off the top of my head. Um, anyway, we'll put, we'll put workhorse in the show notes. Crested Sunmare. So, uh, anyway, if you're bold enough to enter a legacy tournament and lay a cavern down and sternly say horse and cast a tarpan, this bud's for you. What about that? There's that card also when you get damaged, you put a counter on it and you remove a count, sun drop something, you remove a counter from it and you gain a lot. Yes, sun droplet. Yeah, sun droplet. Yeah. yeah, sun droplet is the sideboard technology against burn. Whenever you're dealt damage, put that many charge counters on Sun Droplet at the beginning of each upkeep. You may remove a charge counter from Sun Droplet. If you do, you gain one life. So 
I mean, the, an ancient tomb decks before because I tend to draw three or four of my own ancient tombs and yeah. uh, you slowly gain life back. I mean, doesn't the horse go in like life dot deck? If so. it was a horse cleric, I'd be all in. Okay. Uh, yeah. So gotcha. unfortunately, he doesn't have a job. He is just a horse. So. All right. Fair enough. Moving on. Um, white cards. White cards. All right. So we have a card here that might actually be playable, and that is Solemnity. Solemnity. Yeah. Two white enchantment. Players can't get counters. Full stop. Counters can't be put on artifacts, creatures, enchantments, or lands. I'll let you two talk about this. There's a lot of combos with this card, in addition to the fact that it hoses a lot of... Yeah, I'm a, I think this card's pretty sweet. I'm not really 100% sure if it's actually good, but the combination of this plus Elephant Grass or Glacial Chasm or Dark Depths are the main... Those are the three main cards I'm really looking at anyway that are played already in legacy at least a little bit so maybe some sort of deck where you're trying to basically be an enchantress deck where you're trying to lock it out and then you have dark depths as your win condition maybe but it suffers from the fact that if you don't have this card out it's your deck is shit so you either need more ways to find it or ways to protect it like sterling grove is probably the card that you want since it protects plus finds the single card that your deck would revolve around. This deck is probably awful though. So, but that's kind of like where I've gotten most of my ideas so far. It, it's definitely like a sideboard hoser. You know, there's obvious decks. It's just, you know, really good against infect, obviously. Um, and then you have things like uh, ether vial, for instance, is one that you would use this as, you know, maybe some hatred for. Um, I think if you can leverage it being a hate piece and a positive for your deck strategy, I think that's probably where it fits best. Um, otherwise, it seems a little lopsided or is, you know, hopefully that silver bullet you need uh, in your sideboard for another deck. Uh, there's a possibility that this kind of slots into a new control deck um, just because you can leverage possibly a little more speed uh, as far as a win con, uh, then something like Entreat the Angels, where you're kind of stalling out and building, where this can kind of offer a fast kill with something like Dark Depths, uh, also offer protection with Glacial Chasm. Uh, but, you know, you, you have that. I mean, one thing I was thinking about with the Miracles deck is even with it not being figured out right now, there seems to be a shell there for maybe not necessarily something with this whole engine included to it, but something similar. So maybe this, you know, fits in to a control deck of some sort of color spectrum, um, but probably lean towards blue-white. I mean, originally I thought maybe Enchantress, but, you know, people who know Enchantress well, kind of on the fence about it or not likely to, to really try it out. Um, so that's kind of where I sit with it right now. I mean, as far as any decks that already play, you know, Merit Lage as a win con, I don't see this card slotting in at all. Um, there is another card that I'm sure we'll touch on later, which is the the Mirror card, which offers another uh, way to kind of create Merit Lage. Um, so that, that's interesting. And this can be tutored for um, with Enlightened Tutor, uh, Academy Rector, those sort of things. So something might be there uh, with the control. Control shell. That's probably where I'd lean right now. Otherwise, the decks that are making Merit Lage fast, I are not looking at this, in my opinion. 
you want a kill condition that revolves around this card, Merit Lage is probably the best one. I can't think of any other, in fact, so that was my thought is just like a lockout prison deck and then your win yeah. con is make a twenty twenty. Right, like a control deck and Yeah, that's why I was thinking like it might move a little faster than something like Entreat or uh, whatever else a control deck typically plays. It just it being a white card itself can kind of slot into a blue-white uh, shell fairly easily, um, you know, keeping it, you know, more concentrated, which I think a lot of control decks kind of want to lean towards. You know, blue and white is the main colors and possibly a light splash. Uh, so maybe somewhere around there, that's probably where I would, I would see it. Um, but, yeah, otherwise, a good silver bullet card in some instances for certain decks that are looking for this sort of piece, I suppose. So white got a new camel also, two and a white, three, two. This is the solitary camel, so this camel stands alone. Uh, solitary camel has lifelink as long as you control a desert or there is a desert in your graveyard. Um, so the camel tribe getting a did, – did the camels get a lord or no? No lord. That's a little disappointing. I'm looking at the rest of the white cards. You guys see anything uh, Anything worth talking about? Camel God would have been great. Yeah, Camel Avatar or Camel God would have been amazing. Like, you know, when he enters the battlefield, search your library for some insane number of deserts and put them on the battlefield, you know? Yeah. There's that uh, extra large, supersized humility card, um, Overwhelming Splendor. Oh, it's like nine mana or something. It's eight mana, yeah. Oh. That's too much, but... Yeah, I mean, if humility didn't exist, it might be an interesting thing to rector for, but... It's EDH, uh, yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that the shit you can rector for now is so fucking over the top. And then, this one actually this one actually looks pretty good. Uh, sandworm Convergence for me. Yeah, yeah. It's And it happens to be white. Maybe this is something you could put in Rector Explorer dot deck rectal rectal explanation rectal exploration dot deck. Um, I mean, is that better than that sandworm convergence card? I mean, it does the same thing to sneak show, right? I mean, I think so. I mean, well, you're you're coming in with big creatures, and all their dudes are one ones. Drop but it, it, it doesn't win the game. That, I guess that's the issue. The sandworm convergence yeah. just begins shitting worms. Yeah, this thing stones them, but now you have to find a way to find a way to win the game. I mean, between, like, this omniscience and the sandworm thing, if you, the rector deck is still bad, then I think it's always going to be bad. Yeah. Yes. yeah. I, can, I can confirm it's pretty bad. So that's that was overwhelming splendor. Sorry. There's um there's a, an interesting cycle of cards. Maybe we should just run through all of them. They, they're named after a god. They say do something slightly undercosted, and then they say lands you control don't untap during your next untap step. So the white one is a sorcery. White, white, one. Your life total becomes equal to your starting life total. Lands you control, don't untap during your next untap step. So, assuming you're playing a normal game of Magic the Gathering, that would mean that your life total would become 20. Um, for three mana, is that amazing? If it was instant speed, I think this card would be... Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, it's sorcery speed, I don't know. I mean, it's... There's like Pulse of the Fields. What's the is that it? Pulse of the Fields is the yeah. game life pulse. Game four, if you have the light, if you have less life, you get it back to your hand or something. I think I probably just want I mean, 
if I want to gain life, which I generally just want to play clerics, if I'm going to try to do that, yeah, I think I would rather have Pulse of the Fields than this thing. Yeah, I think, like, at this point, all the life gain is so... Like, you can pay two mana and gain ten life at this point, so yeah, at what yeah. point is paying three and exerting all of your lands for the next turn? You have to be gaining, like, 15 life for it to really even be... Yeah, this one in particular, but... Um... So looking, let's I guess let's do these in a in a in a cycle then. So we've got uh, that is Oketra's Last Mercy. Uh, the blue one is useless. It's Control Magic, which you can just play Control Magic and not get Winter Orbed. Uh, Bontu's Last Reckoning. So destroy all creatures, lands you control. Don't untap during your next untap step. So that's one black black. This card to me suffers from Toxic Deluge being. Yeah, you know, Toxic Deluge is a thing, and I just don't see this thing, you know, superseding that. It has, it seems like the most powerful one of all of them, but at the same time, it has the stiffest competition, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think yeah, I mean, it's better because you can still, like, Deluge for 15 and get away with it sometimes if they don't, I don't know, like, it's it's effectively doing the same thing if they're just dropping another Emrakul, you know, following the Emrakul you Deluge or cast this Bond to. Shuman food. It's just, I don't know. Just rather play Deluge, I think. I don't see the benefit, really. No. So I guess one thing is that because this is in black, it's uniquely positioned to play off Dark Ritual. So that's, I guess, something, right? Like Swamp Ritual this. Ha-ha! Nice, you know, nice empty the Warrens. I guess at the same time, you could just yeah. do the same thing with Toxic Deluge, so who fucking cares? Yeah. Yeah, this, um, is, probably the, this is probably the best one, but it's because, like you said, there's so many other options. Like, you'd probably even just rather have Damnation over this anyway since you're going to tap out next turn. This is like the modern Deluge. Yeah, it could be. A, you know, you could play this card in a deck that's playing Winter Orb already, and uh, you probably wouldn't give a shit, right? Like, who cares? I'm not untapping my lands anyway. Which makes the green one especially depressing. It's like a, a shitty Tarmogoyf that gets spell-pierced, which sucks. So, it's a shame. And Winter Orbs, you. Yeah, and Winter Orb. Well, if you're playing like some mono green root maze Winter Orb deck and you're yeah. just, just trying to fuck people, if the green one had text, uh, it would be cool. But the fact that you just literally pay too much mana for a Tarmogoyf that gets spell pierced or fluster stormed. Yeah. If all of these That's... were instants, they would just be so much better. Like they would actually they'd just all be playable. Like it's amazing how much better all these spells would be as instants. The red one is like a shitty-ass Mind's Desire, so full Hazaret's Undying Fury, four red-red, sorcery, shuffle your library, exile the top four cards. You may cast any number of non-land cards with converted mana cost five or less from among them without paying the mana cost, and then you get stasis. This one's close, but, um, you know, you can't... So, Mind's Desire is what this seems like, but unlike Mind's Desire... This cannot Mind's Desire into another Mind's Desire, which is the primary reason Mind's Desire is restricted because Mind's Desire creates other Mind's Desires, which make copies, and then you get more Mind's Desires, and before you know it, your opponent just wants to kill themselves. So this thing can't actually cast itself, which is bad. Some mono-red shit pile storm deck. That would just be Dragon Storm in Legacy, probably, right? Yeah, it, it casts five or less, right? Five or less. And so, it, so this thing can't cast Dragonstorm. It, it can cast Empty the Warrens. So my Belcher. thoughts are maybe like you get to play, now you get to play the um, the Miracle Reforge the Soul. Oh, and Wheel. 
maybe you get to hit a bunch of rituals and then cast your rituals, then reforge wheel, and then you can actually you can play both. To... You can play wheel of fate and reforge because this will let you cast cards with the. This will let you cast ancestral visions. So you're like pretty good chance to hit a wheel after you resolve it. Maybe maybe I mean, you want to belch, but like if you're if you hit six mana with belcher, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's just a for belcher wise, it's just another business spell, but you're already at. Between empties, burning wishes, and right. Belcher themselves, how many more do you need? I don't really want to talk about Belcher. Let's just go to the next card. <laughs> I'm fine with that. There's a new. He's like a from the. He's like a cross between a Eternal Witness and a Chimera and a fucking Snapcaster Mage. He's Blood Water Entity, one blue red creature, Elemental Flying Prowess, two two. When it ETBs, you may put target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard on top of your library. So. We know that Prowess Flyers for two mana are playable. People play that piece of shit Storm Chaser Mage. You can get a Brainstorm back on top of your library or a uh, Pimp Pulse or something cool. I mean, the, his upside is you can put like a Miracle that you discarded or something like a Thunder's Wrath maybe. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so it plays well with the Miracle mechanic. You could put something on t- top of your library and then predict it away. <laughs> yes, you can create your own draw tube. Um, the art just looks like somebody literally took every effect in Photoshop and just applied it to a purple JPEG. So hats off to, uh, the artist here for creating this piece of shit. It looks horrible. It looks like a kid ran like his, like, <laughs> hands right over the whole piece of art and just, <laughs> like, smeared it and, like, oh. it still had to turn it in. Uh, so this doesn't exile the thing it gets. Is there? Can you just like time walk forever? No, you'd need to flicker this thing, right? Let's talk about this fucking bird. Hold yes, on. that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> this bird, I like. I bird. looked him up earlier. I can't remember what the first nimble. part of his name is. He is nimble. He is a bird wizard. Two fantastic, a fantastic tribe and a fantastic job. Nimble obstructionist. Two and a blue. Creature bird wizard. Three one. Flash flying, cycling two and a blue. When you stike, when you cycle him, uh, stifle an ability you can't, you don't control. So it's fucking stifle that you get to draw a card for that can't be traditionally countered. Ironically, I guess you could counter it with stifle or trick bind or bind or one of one of its cousins. Um, yeah, this guy's sick as fuck. This guy's sick as fuck. I mean, I love getting people with mind sensor and other bird wizards. And this guy is just, and Spell Queller and all these other crappy flying turds. Uh, and this guy is like right in that fucking wheelhouse. He is also just an absolute beating. If you, ha- I mean, Standstill being on the battlefield is a beating, but he is like an extra strong, like Louisville slugger beating. If you have Standstill and your opponent like goes to waste your factory and you just yeah, get him with this fucking guy, get bent. And he also plays really well with standstill in that in most standstill shells, you generally want all of your dudes to have flash because you basically never want to play anything in your main phase. Even as just a, a cloud elemental, you just throw him down at the end of the turn, untap, and play another standstill. I guess he compares poorly to Vendillion Click from that perspective, but he's way easier to cast than Vendillion Click. And he has like all of this upside to being a 
uncounterable stifle in a deck where you're trying to wasteland and stifle them anyway, or you're at least trying to wasteland them in, in standstill. Maybe you're not actually playing stifles, but man, he's fucking cool. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited to do something with this card. Definitely a standstill shell. I mean, I think even like in Drake Stompy, maybe you want him. I don't really know. Yeah, having won my buys on the back of four owing with Drake Stompy, I guess you gracefully scooped to me. But yeah, I love C Drake Stompy. This guy. So my creature mix in Drake Stompy is, or I guess when I played it a few weeks ago, was four Serendib, obviously. Oh, God, my fucking brain is. Oh, Mist Hollow Griffins. Yeah, so four C Drakes. I think I played three Mist Hollow Griffins. And I played like three Pester Mites. This thing's probably better than Pester Mite. Pestermite is kind of good in combat and can maybe like you know sneak a steal a win against like show and tell. Yeah, like um, what's the, what's his best his best attribute is like flash in tap down a blocker untap sword plus equip. Yeah, yeah, that kind of turn, you know, or you just like I mean I did win one match against sneak attack where I just had Pestermite and I had a cavern on fairy and <laughs> and he just couldn't to like do anything about. <laughs> my guys because i had caverned all of them and i kept lifting the cavern with sea drake and i would name other stuff and he was <laughs> he was frustrated yeah i think this is better than this is probably better than pester might the upside is is that like well you uh you know you it's just, it can just always be a card you don't actually need a stifle target you can actually just cycle it um holy fuck can you stifle your own city of traders dying with this so no, it's an ability you don't control. Oh, son of a bitch. Dylan, you son of a bitch. Okay. Yeah, they said because they made it like that because if you didn't do that and you just cycled him, then he would stifle his own cycle ability. Anyway, all right, well, it'd be fun to, like, fuck with your own city of traders, but oh, well. Yeah, I think this guy is pretty sweet, and uh, we know that flash creatures for three mana are definitely playable. He's got great synergy with Cavern. And just stifling people is usually pretty fun. Uh, yeah. Make, makes them Stand still, stifle, plus draw a card is pretty much the living the dream for me, so. Yeah, and like all the Flash Flying guys, he fights Planeswalkers pretty well, can fight Liliana pretty well. Isn't a legend, so Click Click's pretty sweet, but you know, Click being a legend is sometimes a liability, you know, so sometimes you can bounce them yourself, but. Yeah, it's usually more a liability than a plus. Let's see, we've got Dunes. Of the dead. Is that the land? Yeah, this, this is pretty cool. So, those familiar with uh, Yummy House, Eric Yu, know that he is um, a huge fan of the God's Eye, Gate to the Wreck Eye. What the fuck is that thing? Piece of shit card. <laughs> thing that makes spirits that don't fly. What is it called? I can't even remember. Yeah, it's awful. So, this thing is a strictly better God's Eye, Gate, gate to the Gate to the Wreck Eye. Land, desert, which is sick. Add. Uh, gold mana to your mana pool. When Dunes of the Dead is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, create a black zombie token. Uh, so this is like an engine card you could use with anything that we're sacrificing a land is positive. So like Zurin Orb or um, Stacks. Or just Smokestack. Um, so Smokestack, Crucible, and this is a lock. I mean, there are a lot of locks with Crucible and Smokestack, but this is extra cool because you get a zombie... And you get to play the Dunes of the Dead back again to feed the smokestack. But at the same time, you're building a win condition. You're building a zombie horde. This card's sweet. Also Pox. 
pox. Yeah, Urborg, this, smallpox. Fuck you. This is pretty sick. And crop rotation. Yeah, you can crop rotate it. It'd be sick if you could, like, use the mana to cast zombies, too. Then it would be, like, absolutely insane. But I guess that would be too good for standard. Like, tap to add any color for zombie plus colorless anywhere else? Yeah, I would play that in Hustead.deck in a hot minute, then. Oh, God, that card would be dust. <laughs> yeah. So there's another desert that makes a dude. It's the Hostile Desert. Also makes gold mana. To exile a land card from your graveyard, Hostile Desert. Becomes a 3-4 until the end of turn. It's still land. That's kind of an interesting card, too. I think it's actually decent. I mean, it can, like, hose a death rate activation from the opponent, too. Oh, I didn't think of that. Yeah, you can fizzle a death rate activation, and it's pretty cheap for its size as a man land. When you look at a lot of the ones they've released the last couple of years, like, it's usually at least three mana to get a guy yeah. that size. Yeah, they're saying it's it's pretty good, too, because, like, in Legacy, the biggest thing you're really going to be fighting, other than a Goyf, is going to be, you know, a three-power guy, probably. Like, New Thalia is probably the biggest thing, so it fights well since it's a 3-4. Yeah, yeah. And I get, you know, it can sit there and play defense and be a, a deterrent as well, which is kind of cool. I have crop rotated for Nantuku Monastery and gotten people before, too, so it's another thing you can, like, rotate for and snap block. Is yeah. there? A, did they make a fetch land for deserts? No, that'd be sick as fuck, though. Why didn't they make a fetch land for deserts? Yeah, that'd be sweet. Fuck. Or like, yeah, get a desert or get a waste. Oh, it'd be sick as fuck. All right, so this is there any playable cycle? Is there any playable desert in the desert cycle of colored deserts? Like, every color um, got a desert, right? Yeah, they're all, like, kind of spell lands. Um, and they're all actually, they don't sack themselves. They sack any desert, so mm. you can kind of keep those around. I think the black one is probably the best. It's... Add a gold or add a black for a life. Pay four and two and sack a desert to put two minus one, minus one counters on a creature. It's not bad. And they these like are a, not coming to play tapped, so that's something. Yeah, it's like a shitty Cabal Pit, kind of. Oh, yeah, Cabal Pit. Well, an expensive Cabal Pit, I guess. Oh, this card's fucking terrible. Well, Cabal Pit requires threshold, so I guess. Uh, four, yeah. man, four man is pretty steep. And the other one is a shitty Barbarian Ring. No, that thing is an absolute piece of shit. Deals two damage to each opponent. Huh. Yeah, you can't even hit a creature. Uh, so while we're on the artifacts and colorless, how about the Mirage Mirror? What do you guys think of this uh, card? Three mana, artifact. Two, Mirage Mirror becomes a copy of target artifact, creature, enchantment, or land until the end of turn. Uh, poly artifact. Most mirrors show your reflection. Others show your potential. Willow, you really are great. <laughs> Man, but again, uh, I mean, it, it's a fringe card, right? Like, holds up a block against Tarmogoyf, shoots off Meritlage. I don't know. It seems like something maybe like for Tesserator. Drop it off Show and Tell. Hey, you drop it off Show and Tell, yeah. yeah. You dropped Emrakul. It's fast. Hey, you know, it's another one of those cards that. Uh, does nothing sometimes, and three mana for a card that does nothing is can be depressing. I'd be loath to cut any card I can think of in Tesserator for this, and um, I play a lot of one ofs. I still don't think I want this card. There is a card next to it that's sweet, Hollow One. Hollow One we talked about earlier. Hollow One costs two less to cast for each card you've cycled or chucked this turn, discarded this turn, and it itself has cycling. So this card might as well read 
Bizarre Baghdad right on his fucking face, right? Like, you activate Bizarre, and this is still in your hand. You get to cast a 4-4 turd for free. Huh. Plus, like, it cycles for Dredge, so that's pretty sweet. Yep. Yeah, it cycles for Dredge. So if you draw it late, or somehow like, it ends up in your hand, you can cycle it and Dredge. Uh, if you draw it early and you have your Bizarre, you just get to play a 4-4 for free. Dredge cards are evaluated differently. Like when you look at cards that are in dredge decks in a vacuum, most of them look like draft box refuse. Like nobody would think Wakamiba is a playable card in any way, shape, or form. But this guy might fall into that camp where you look at him, but it's hard to evaluate him outside of the uh, how the dredge deck kind of operates. He's also a pretty cool foil for anyone who's bringing in any hate because. N- Besides, like, needling the bazaar or wasting it or whatever, none of the dredge hate stops this guy. Priest, cage, ley line, rest in peace. Hmm. Nothing stops this guy. So if they keep a hate-heavy hand that just doesn't have a way to kill a creature, they're on a five-turn clock to deal with uh, this fucking Ramatut-looking motherfucker and... That to me is pretty appealing. You know, you could you could conceivably keep in game two or three a hand that had bizarre in this, in the hopes that they keep a hate heavy hand. They lead with like a cage or something, and you just fucking punish them by playing a four four, and you know forcing wow. forcing them to really quickly come up with a solution. It's it's kind of like reminds me of what the transform sideboards with Merrill Age do, where they try to attack on a different axis that doesn't fold to the traditional hate. But it can be hard to assemble stage depths or hexmage uh, depths. It's just a little slower. Whereas this, you can literally just go bizarre, poop out a hollowed one. I don't care if you have black ley line. I'm going to put you on a five-turn test to deal with this. And I know you didn't, you didn't board an ancient grudge against me. I'm playing fucking dredge. So uncage the menagerie. You had this one in your notes. What color is that fuck card? fuck is that? I don't know. I'm using Chinese Mythic spoiler here, and I, unfortunately, I can't search. Oh, it's the green. It's the green spell. It's it's, it's a lot like um, uh, weird harvest. Search your library. It's a green green X sorcery. Search your library for up to X creature cards with different names that have different converted mana costs. Reveal them and put them in your hand. So maybe in some kind of veteran explorer deck, you can just crank this off. Hate bears, yeah. Um, hate bears are slivers. Ah, slivers. No, 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 because they got to have different converted mana costs. Oh. oh. Oh, no, 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 my bad, my bad, I misread it. They like, each have to have converted mana cost. Yeah, so you do like a lot of one-ofs for hate bears or... Got it, yeah, yeah, okay, cool. So, so if I'm hearing it correctly, it's like green, green, and you pay two, you can search for two, two, two mana creatures? Two, two mana creatures, yeah. They have, they have different... Three, three mana. Yeah. Card seems fun. Not very good. Yeah. I didn't realize there was a limit. It's tough, I mean, they printed a... So there's Green Sun Zenith, pretty high bar for like a veteran explorer type deck. Uh, even Eldritch Evolution, it's not the worst. And then uh, Eladamry's Call is a little lower to the ground in an instant. Yeah. And you, they play well with Gaddic Teague too. Like this thing, you don't, you know, you want. There's a lot of cats in this set too. I'm just looking here. All right, let, let's talk about what I think is probably my favorite card in the set. Ramu, Ramanap Excavator. Creature, Naga, Cleric. Two and a green, two, three, Crucible of Worlds. So I remember having conversations, you know, when they started putting 
abilities on creatures like Tame Priest and all stuff. I remember like literally having masturbatory orgies with Zach Wilson, just talking about how they need to put crucible worlds on a dude. I think his was like a five, three juggernaut or something, but like <laughs> the fact that you can green sun for this card is pretty sick to me. Uh, is disgusting. Crucible is eminently playable. Uh, and this is a non punishing fireable body. So Josh, you play a lot of shitty uh, green sun Zenith decks with creatures. What, where do you see this card slotting in, maybe in some of those type of decks? I mean, I don't really know if it's... It's probably in some random Maverick deck as maybe a one-of. It's not really ever better than Knight most of the time, but it's probably good enough to warrant a slot. And otherwise, I think in the like a Stompy shell, since he's got a good Stompy cost and ramping up with... Ancient Tombs and City of Traders is really good for paying extra green sun. So that's, I think, a green stompy shell is where I want to play it. Maybe Loam. Like, a, yeah, he's yeah. a good, like, alternative to Loam since a lot of times the lands decks already kind of wanted a Crucible or something in case their Loams get extracted. He can kind of make yeah. way in there, and then you can still get to play. They're already playing a green sun or two, and... Doesn't that four probably color, gonna see a decent amount of play? That four color um, pick up your land uh, loam deck plays green sun zenith, right? Like for T. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff. It's like maybe like they're they've been playing that vine crasher card. Uh, I wonder if this guy's better than that. Vine crasher, I pretty much play him in any deck that can support him because I hate true name. I was playing against true name. Yeah, I was playing him in lands. I played him in lo- aggro loam. I played him in like even veteran explorer decks because I was just so fucking fed up of, with fucking stone tard and his fucking true name nemesis. And that thing just stomps it. He's really good. I mean, he he is also a pretty decent foil if you're playing against lands. It's going to be hard for them to I mean, they have to like double fire this guy, right? And like, so if you're a wasteland deck, knight's pretty good too. But if you want to like maintain parity, you can get this guy. And then keep up with them wastelanding you or waste them out of the game. Um, a little faster than maybe Knight could, right? If you if you play this guy, well, you still need your land drop, but I'm trying to think, does he get does he get the next wasteland faster? I guess Knight tutors the wasteland. He plays really well with Knight, so that's that's that. Like they can play really well together. And he's live right away. Like you can you can use his ability, you know, play a land, and then Knight's just gonna sit there for a turn. Yeah, late in the game, this guy is is really good. Um, so he's, there's also like tireless tracker. He plays really well with tireless tracker. Uh, some other cards that I've been playing lately. So he's going to be sweet. Okay. Horizon canopy, uh, flagstones. I'm just glad he's not a legend. God. Anyway. Yeah. Play him in a destructive flow deck flow. I love him. Yeah. I'm in for smokestacks or braids. Play Braid Stompy with this guy. I guess a Pheomancer's just better. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, my uh, my first thought is I just want to play him, Green Suns, and Geddens, and I can always have a crew spot when I get him. Mystic Enforcer. Millennials have no fucking idea what that card does, and I just windmill it and just beat the shit out <laughs> of them. Like, oh, Tombstalker. Oh, I play Tombstalker in my Delvin deck. Oh, look at me. Oh. Well, fuck you. I have a Mystic Enforcer. Shout out to the Salt Mine podcast and their never-ending rants about 
and Delverdex and Honda Civics, Tomb Stalkers, <laughs> Shrimp on the Bobby. I didn't <laughs> listen to their most recent one yet. It was a little bit of a disappointment. They had now, granted, he announced at the beginning and in the show notes that he was going to have two Grinder Barnacle turds on, but I didn't believe he'd actually do it. And in fact, they did actually <laughs> find two Grinder Barnacle turds to be on their show. So, but it was all right. Uh, I hate it. I've totally lost track of of this. Uh, if there's anything really good left in this set, this part. Who? Torment of Scarabs. Torment of Scarabs. That sounds like a black card. Oh, it is. Torment of Scarabs, three and a black. Enchantment or a curse enchant player. At the beginning of the enchanted player's upkeep, that player loses three life unless he sacks a non-land again with a non-land. Non-land permanent is card. That's good. Nah. That's good it's a non-land. Nah, I think any card where they can choose is usually bad. Like but They don't get to choose land. That's what I mean. Like they, well, You can resolve the fucking abyss. You know what I mean? Yeah, but the abyss doesn't kill them. Well, neither does this. They just discard a card, right? Or sack a... If they have a card. I mean, <laughs> or they're just yeah. not doing anything, you know? Like, you're... I just think this puts... I'd rather have this than the Abyss, I think. I mean, what does this get? Like, they have three choices is my problem with this card. That's yeah. a lot of choices. They can lose three life. Now, one thing, it means hard to get rid of, and it'll always do something. Whereas the Abyss doesn't always do something, right? So against you know, some shitty creatureless control deck or whatever, the or you know, the abyss does nothing. But I guess this thing will always do something. So that's so that's good. It's hard to get rid of. It's four mana, so it can't be decayed. Yeah, maybe, maybe you want this. I was playing Nether Void in my Pox deck, but maybe you huh. can slot, slot this into Pox. I mean, it's your finisher, right? So I just think I think too with like Curse Scroll and this together, I think really speed up the co- the clock for Pox. Um, you know, there's a cycling demonic tutor. No, I didn't know that. Where's that? Oh, yeah, of course, kind of cool. It's kind of interesting. It's it's a five mana demonic tutor, literally just demonic tutor, but it cycles for black. I, wonder, is, I guess it's never going to be good enough for Storm because you don't play Ogmas Will in Legacy Storm, right? And you just rather have Dark Petition. Like they've been trying to create like a tutor, right? That was good in a fair deck. That's not just a combo thing. And I think this is probably the best one they've come up with because, you know, early you can cycle it and late you can use it to find the right answer or a finisher. Well, that's a thing. I, I mean, it, not not in Storm. It's more just like if maybe you just want a mid-range black control deck and this can, you know, it's not dead early and it's late game. It's really good. Holy shit. You didn't have this guy on your list. You know, they made another Phyrexian negator. God, I'm a sucker. Oh, that guy's sick. I'm a sucker for a good negator. Hold on. Yeah, Crocod- sick as fuck. Crocodile Demon Zombie. <laughs> Shout out to MC. Uh, God damn. Afflict 3. Whenever this creature becomes blocked, defending player loses through life. When an opponent casts a spell, put a minus one, minus one counter on negator. Whenever negator deals combat damage to a player, remove all minus one, minus one counters from it. Uh, so it kind of sucks that his Afflict doesn't get the counters off of him. That blows. Uh, but I guess if they're chump blocking him, then it's good for you. Oh yeah, right. So yeah, yeah. If they're chump blocking him, they're getting afflicted, you know, and their fucking guys are dying because you have a five-five. Well, if they have like a true name, if they have a true name. They just lose three life, and your guy lives. That's pretty cool. I guess all these afflict yeah, guys. Trample, right? Yeah, they don't. He didn't trample like Negator. 
all these afflict guys that have four or more toughness at least can profitably attack into that piece of shit. This guy's close. This is like I didn't think about that. Yeah, I think of everything in the in the I frame everything in legacy around sneaking chimp, fucking grizzle grizzle chimp, true name chimpasis. Like that's how everything is framed for me. Where's this crocodile card? I can't find it. <laughs> the art, the art. He looks like a. He looks like a. a who are the dinosaur transformers? The, the, the Dinobots. He looks like a Dinobot. The black card. Yeah, he's black and two zombie crocodile demon Amit Eternal Negator. I know you guys can't even believe that he was actually playable, but there was a time where he was like a playable card, and then there was some other periods of magic where he would board him in against decks that didn't really have blockers or bolt, like, or you even boarded him in if you were playing like combo with Dark Ritual. Yeah, and, I know Storm used to play him. Right, and like. This guy is way better than Negator at being a sideboard storm card because if like Rug Delver just keeps bolts in against you for reach or whatever, like getting your Negator bolted is an eye-opening experience. It fucking blows. Um, this guy doesn't give a fuck, right? Like he just he just barrels fucking through. So maybe you could come up with some sneaky sideboard plan with this guy, or in like Suicide Helm Vault. I used to board in Hypnotic Spectre. Just board in this guy instead. It's pretty sick. Do some cool tricks with Vampire Hex Mage. Yeah, you can save him with the with the Hex Mage. Like he's not good enough. Vile zombies. You pretty much want Lords on three. Like generic zombies that don't trample aren't good enough. I don't know. I'll check the sources thread on Vile zombies, but I'm pretty sure he's he's not good enough. What about a uh, Torment of Hailfire? Torment of Hailfire X five mana card. No, it's an X black black Re- sorcery. Repeat the following process X times. Trust the process. Each opponent loses three life unless that player sacks a non-land permanent again with the non-land or discards a card. I can't sinkhole you. I can't ice quake you. Fuck that. Fuck all this non-land permanent. Are are millennials and children that sensitive to having their lands destroyed? Yes. What the fuck? So sad. Especially in a set where they just printed Crucible, man. Like, lands don't even care if they go to the graveyard now, right? Well, it's like 80% of the Magic players are casuals, and they send out, like, their marketing surveys, and then they're like, it makes you feel bad. And it's like, oh, (laughs) lands get destroyed. And they're like, oh, okay, well, you're 80% of the market, so. There's a wretched camel. They they print all these lands with abilities, but no way to destroy them in standard and stuff. They made a fucking zombie camel. What the fuck? That's the sickest thing ever. When wretched camel dies, if you control a desert, or there's a desert in your graveyard, target player discards a card. Fuck yeah, dude. I'm playing desert pox with four wretched camels. They gotta make a camel lord. God, they need a camel. Has, Has actual camel spiked? No, not yet. There's a few... I'm surprised. How about Doomfall? That's a sweet name for a card. Choose one. Target opponent exiles a creature he or she controls. Target opponent reveals his or her hand. You choose a non-land card from it and exile that card. So it's coercion or like a really weird edict that that doesn't... Yeah, so if they control true name, they can get the fuck out and exile it. Man, this card seems close also. Sort of reminds me of Collective Brutality and that I feel like that card is not dead in almost any matchup. Right. 
you know, it's like, um, you know, either you're, you're bending a guy they control or you get to coercion them. The exile might be really relevant too. Some kind of black, if, black ancient that tomb. That card two mana would be really good. Yeah, this card at two mana would be a fucking beating, even as a sorcery. Hmm. Yeah, probably one mana too expensive. Oh, well, I have dreams of playing a, a Chrome Mox black deck with this and... I mean, it might be a reasonable sideboard card because it's a nice hoser to True Name and Merit Lage. And it's not dead against combo. Yeah. Right. So, like, it can come in a fair amount of the time. I don't know. I think that's Hour of Devastation. I'm not going to lie. I I didn't really... Did we miss any cards? Or We're we're going on two hours here anyway. uh, There's the Minotaur. uh, Neheb? Yeah. Didgeridoo. I'm yeah, yeah, it's close. Not good enough though. Maybe. No, he's not good enough. I mean, he's not even as good as Tangarth, really. Like the bar. I mean, I, I just you have to be better than like Boros Reckoner, not Boros. Yeah, Boros Battleshaper, which is like really good. And a guy like this, I mean, if he had Hexproof, maybe I could get behind him. I don't care about Afflict. I mean, do something for me, like block True Name, kill True Name, kill Grizzlebrand. Yeah. Kill with Emrakul. Yeah, kill a Deathrite Shaman, and, like, you can't do any of that. Right. It's true. Ooh, there's a fucking Snake Hydra. Hold on, what does this guy do? Vigilance Reach Trample. Fucking, okay, uh... Sweet. <laughs> Ramakuri... Hydra gets plus one, plus one as long as you control a desert. Ramakuri Hydra gets plus one, plus one as long as there's a desert in your graveyard. Holy fuck, so this thing's... If everything shakes out, he's a Vigilance Reach Trample Jazam. And you get to play deserts. All the deserts. God, have, yeah, actual Arabian Night deserts. Yeah. So, so they didn't actually print desert, despite it being already legal and modern. That's fucked up. Having two deserts out in Legacy might actually be kind of legit. Desert was so close, man. If it just... If it either did the damage in combat or could kill a fucking true name. The upside to the deserts now are that you have kind of single duels, essentially, for, like, Eldrazi, because they all tap for gold plus color, oh. so you can play a mono-colored Eldrazi deck, I guess. Green Eldrazi with, like, Eldrazi's and this Jazam Hydra thing. Might be pretty Desert Drazi's? Yeah, Desert Drazi. Dry Drazi. And there's that snake right. Oh, Ira, uh, I played that guy the other day. He was he was fucking sick. Yeah, he's always going to be on in a deck full of, like, Thought Knots and Jazam Hydras and Reality Smashers. So this guy's pretty sick. Is he a rare? Is this, this guy's going to be played in standard, probably. Or maybe a 5-5 five, five for 4 isn't even good enough anymore. Because it's easy, it's trivial to get a desert in the graveyard because they made cycling deserts, right? Vigilance right. and is pretty good. Josh, are you more excited about playing standard now that you can play... Fucking this desert hydra deck. I mean, yes, except I won't ever actually put the effort in to build the deck. So no. Uh, expensive. Wow, well, he's a, he's only a rare though. The mythics suck. Yeah, I just don't. That which is pretty sweet. It's like a week in advance, so I'd have to actually maybe go find all these fucking cards. Hmm. That snake and god. Ten bucks. Who? The snake god is like ten, twelve bucks. The Snake God from this set or the previous set? The previous one. Ronus? Oh, yeah, yeah. I got him pretty cheap. Yeah, I got Ronus. I already have Ronus. But I'm saying these Mythics, I mean, they'll be expensive maybe in Standard, but they're they're all fucking garbage. Like, I don't need any of these Mythics. The Horse maybe is going to be very tempting. 
thankfully, Crucible Man's are rare. Yeah, I pre-ordered mine today, so. That's all I got. It's been real. Indeed. May uh, may your camel band with you forever and uh, keep you safe from the horrors of the desert. And the desert nomads. And may your desert, may you band with the desert nomads so that you may desert ride your ride your indestructible horses across deserts. You may ride the you may ride the white horse across the desert, banded with your camel. All right, uh, all you MTG Finance people who listen to our podcast out there, please go spike camel for us. Thank you. I can yeah. listen to that and like just like yeah, give me more, you know. And yeah. like, the yeah. gathering is so bad that it's good. Like, yeah, fucking great, man. But like, believing a legacy one is just really, <laughs> really, really sad. Can you guys hear me now? Trapped in a vault with nothing but time, trying to find a way not to lose my mind. Trapped in a vault with nothing but time, trying to find a way not to lose my mind. Trapped in a vault with nothing but time Trying to find a way not to lose my mind